All right, Matthew chapter 6. Had to get the buttons pushed the right way. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick right up here. Actually, it's chapter 7 now, my bad. Chapter 7. Yeah, I know. I didn't hear her because I was in the closet with my head no. <laughs> under the blanket. Um, chapter 7, we're going to come here to uh, the, the last chapter dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in 5, 6, and 7. We're in verse 1. And, and again, the Sermon on the Mount is not doctrine for us today. It belongs to the nation of Israel. It's actually describing the character and the lifestyle of the people who will be the citizens of the earthly kingdom. And as we've been down through chapters 5 and 6, we've seen that here now in chapter 7, verse number 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For what, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. The, as we begin chapter 7, by the way, verse 1 is a famous verse, goes to church all the time, gets used all the time. Don't you judge me, you know, judge not lest you be judged, you know, and all that good stuff. But as we begin chapter 7 here, uh, the Lord's going to shift gears in dealing with everyone, and that is He's going to move now to the relationship and the attitudes of the kingdom saints towards other people. In chapter 5 and 6, He's been dealing with them. Now He's going to say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's the attitudes and the cares of life here towards other people, how you're going to be dealing with others. And in the first 15, 20 verses here, that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we're not going to get through 20 verses tonight, but we'll get down into the passage here. So he starts when you hear about judge not that ye be not judged. When you look at other people, don't judge them. You're going to be judged. And again, this is a uh, famous passage. Everybody uses it. And, and really, again, what... <laughs> When you look at it and you pay attention to what it says, you leave it where it is, you leave it to who's speaking and to whom it's, then some of that noise goes away from it. And again, what he's doing here is he's just telling them you're not to be critical and condemning and have a condemning attitude toward other people. And Paul will say some things to us, like in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 Corinthians 2, verse number, oh, verse number 15, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So when you, when you talk about judgment and judging, you're, you're talking about the issue of having some discernment and having the ability to look at things and to evaluate things a certain way. Uh, he'll, he'll, he's, uh, that's, if you look over at Philippians, verse one, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9, Paul says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, discernment, discerning things, that you may approve things that are excellent. How are you going to approve things that are excellent? You're going to have some discernment, some ability to evaluate things. So when back here in Matthew 7, that's really what he's getting at. He, he's not saying not to discern and, and have a judgment or a, an evaluation of things. He's talking, by the way, if you're in Matthew 7, look down at verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. So if you're not supposed to give holy things to the dogs and you're not to cast your pearls to the swine, then how are you supposed to know who the dogs and the swines are unless you're doing what? Having some discernment, having some judgment about it and being able to look and say, okay, that's the crowd that's the dogs and that's the crowd that's the swines. We'll get down there in a minute. We'll see that. So he's not talking about going around and saying, you know, hey, don't judge me or you're going to be judged, and so you just let everything go, which is what everybody wants to happen. Rather, look at it and say, hey, here's really what's going on. By the way, if you look down in chapter 7, down at verse 15, 
again, beware of false prophets, which come, so you're supposed to be able to identify who the false prophets are. So he, you're going to have to be able to have some discernment, some judgment. So back up in verse 1, when he says, judge not, he's not saying, again, what most people say, but rather he, he's talking about, hey, let's use some discernment. And what he's going to do now in chapter 7, start here in verse 2, is he's going to explain what he means in verse 1. And he's going to do it by, applying, by an application here, verse 2. In verse 1, when he says, judge not that ye be not judged, what does he mean by that? Well, verse 2, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. In other words, that's why you don't want to be quick to judgment here, because you're going to get back what you're going to be giving to someone. Now, again, this is not you and I today in the body of Christ. We're talking about Israel, the kingdom, and so forth, okay? Keep reading. Ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine eye, thine own eye. Yeah, Mote, that's the speck something little, you got the beam, you got the whole big thing, you know. So basically here's, you know, you hear people always, I, you, you watch people, there's something wrong in your life, and yet what's, really, what's going on in your own life? Something just as bad, if not worse. Don't be that way. Don't, don't, I had a guy one time was talking to him living in Southern California, and he's like, you guys threw that party the other day, and how can, you know, we're talking to him about the Lord. We're down on the beach, San Clemente Pier, just kicking back, relaxing, enjoying the, and, and everything. We just got to talk. He goes, oh, you guys live in that house three doors down, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, sure, I guess. I, we don't know, you know, because there the houses are like, you know, Chicago. They're right on top of each other. He's like, yeah, you guys threw that party, kept me up all night, and you're talking to me about this, right, 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 right. Well, come to find out it wasn't us. It was the guy next door to us, but we all blend. So, but what is that? What happens when you start talking to people about the Lord? They start in examining your life, don't they? Well, you're saying this, and da, 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 back and forth. So, what the Lord, the application here is, is when you criticize people, you're going to find out that no matter what you say to them, when you get up close to the light, you're going to see something bigger in your life. So let's be careful with it. If you come over to Romans 2, Paul says it this way. It's very fascinating. Again, the doctrine in the Sermon on the Mount doesn't belong to you and I, but some of the applications do. And when you get into Paul's epistles, you quickly begin to realize, hey, that's the same thing he just said over there, Romans 2, verse 1. Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that, what? Judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For, the, for, the, for, for thou that judges doest the same thing. See how Paul... He's the same guy that Matthew 7's talking about. Paul just brings it in for, for us today. So don't do that. And that's what he's saying. Go back to Matthew 7. That's what he's saying there. Just be careful with this. There are some things, folk, you know, what is Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things. And what? Desperately wicked. You'll, you'll think, oh, I would never be that bad. And yet you're probably worse in other areas you know, Dad always said, you know, the guy's down on, in the rescue mission, drunk on a fifth of whatever, and he said there's worse people sitting in the church drunk on pride, you know. It, they still are in a bad situation, and actually, being drunk and in the list of the seven, pride is the number one in the list that the Lord hates in Proverbs. So it's like, well, all right, which way do we want to be? Don't be in either, okay? All right? Hey, Rick, can you come and get me? You know, come back to Matthew 7. 
So the issue here, when, when you go back here to Matthew 7, it, again, the practical application of the passage. And again, doctrinally, it's talking to the nation of Israel, the little flock, the believing remnant in the kingdom. But there's some practical side to it for you and I, and that, we get some of that as we go through some of this. I've been trying to show you Paul kind of brings some of that out to us as well. Uh, chapter 7 here, verse Again, verse 2, 3, 4, and five, 4, very just boom. Not much to say about them. Verse 5. Thou hypocrite. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> now, again, you know what a hypocrite is, right? That's what this guy is. What's he saying? You're ba da 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 and he's got, the, he's got a worse case over here. Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Get yourself right, then you can help someone else. And that's really what's happening here because the reason he's bringing this up is he's talking to those tribulation saints, the people that are, are without, if you think about no interruption by Paul, close the chart in your mind, I have it, but close the chart in your mind, these folks are anticipating walking right on into the kingdom. They're not anticipating an interruption. They're moving right into it. And he just told them in chapter 6, don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, the clothes you're going to wear. Don't toil. You know, they're, they're, you're going to sell everything and bring it and give alms. You're going to sell it early Acts period and give it, lay it at the, at the apostles' feet. He just, he's, just, he's getting all this into them. They're going to be poverty-stricken. And yet, what's going to happen? They're going to look over to that guy that lives next door, the Jew next door that took the mark of the beast, see? And there's going to be a little judging going on there. And the Lord says, don't do that. I'll take care of him later. You don't, do th don't have that attitude. They're going to go through this. Don't judge and be critical of over, uh, over there because you're not, you might not know exactly what's going on. So the issue here, Matthew 7, that's what he's dealing with. How are you going to interact with other folks? How are you dealing with other people? How are you interacting with them? What's it look like? So let's deal with each other, not in a hypocritical or self-righteous manner, but let's just deal with each other as who we are. These folks here. Verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now that's a weird verse stuck right in the end of verse, the first five verses. I, I read that I was like, huh? Now instantly you would think about who are, the, who, are, who are the dogs and the, the swine? Well, you'd think about the, the little Samaritan woman that says, you know, us Gentile dogs. But it, there's a little more to it than what's going on there than just the Gentiles. On the ba here, Again, the first five verses, they're so critical that they're starting to condemn people on the basis of their own self-righteousness. Don't do that. But then on the other hand, they're just letting everything go. Verse 6. They're casting what is holy. They're just giving it to the dogs. They're just casting the pearls before the swine. They're just letting it all go. There's no discrimination. There's no discernment. So you've got the extreme. Overcritical and loose. You, so you've got this massive extreme that's going on here. And he says, look guys, when you exercise the proper discernment, again, in the kingdom, Israel is going to have to operate, they're not going to have to, they are going to be operating under that new covenant. And they'll be controlled by the Spirit of God. They will be doing and functioning properly but they have some things that they got to get through first. And that's that little thing called the tribulation. Okay? They got to get there. 
Verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine. The, obviously, the dogs and, the, the, and swine are metaphors. They're used to describe people, certain kinds of people. Now, come over to 2 Peter chapter 2. Are you guys with me? Okay. I read some of this. I'm studying it. I'm looking at it going, it says what it says. We could just keep reading. But I don't want to do that to you. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I had a note here. Hang on. 2 Peter chapter 2. Here, no, notice verse 22. 2.22. So the deuces are wild. 2.22. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Sow, the pig. So the, the proverb about the dog and the sow is said to be true, but he's talking about people, certain kinds of people. Now, you're in chapter 2, so look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You see that issue of, of false apostles, false prophets, false teachers? That's who we're talking about. Privately. Privately. They come in under the guise, under, under, that, under that cloak, if you will, of being a godly teacher. They bring in damnable heresies. They, bring, they come in and they, they, they don't stand out and say, this is who we are. They... Paul over there, he says they're deceitful workers. They're in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14, 15, talking about Satan and his, and his workers. And they what? They look like the ministers of righteousness, but they're really not. That's what these guys are doing. That, so the dogs and the, and the swine, the pigs, are talking about the false apostles, the false pr apostles, prophets, the false teachers. So when you come back to Matthew 7, that's why in verse 15, he's going to bring up that issue there about Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. You see, the subject of false prophets is going to continue to come up here now in this relationship that they're to have one, uh, out with each other. And he's warning them here. So... Peter describes the, these people, the false prophets and false teachers, as dogs and pigs. And guess what Matthew does, what the Lord does? Same thing. Uses the same information. They're going to come in and they're going to try and destroy you. They're going to try to tear you up. Then they will, you're going to cast everything to them. You're going to give them everything and you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn around, and they're going to come after you and destroy you. You're, you give in to them, and yet what are they going to do? Turn right around, rend you, come uh, seven, six there. They're going to come and trample you, and then they're going to come after you. They're going to try to destroy you. Now, when you notice something in verse 6, he says, Give not that which is holy, okay, unto the dogs, Neither cast ye your pearls before the swine. So the dogs and the swine, that's the false prophets and the false teacher. But then what are you, when he talks about the holy and the pearls, what is he talking about there? Well, read, keep reading in the verse. He says, Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. You see the them. It's not it. Okay? Pearls would be, you think about a pearl, you think about the pearl of neck, you know, a, a string of pearls on, on a neck. That would be an it. 
This is a them. This is people. So the pearls and the holy things, they're God's people. Now, now what kind of holy people do you know that Christ would be talking about here? The little flock, the believing remnant, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. He's describing, again, that holy, righteous nation. So he's telling the people in here not to take those souls, the holy things, those people that God's going to collect and to put into his kingdom and don't cast them things out to those false teachers. Don't let them go. Don't turn them over. Rather, you need to keep them inside that little flock and minister to them and protect them and, and keep them safe. Exactly. Now, then he says pearls, which is another interesting use. Uh, come over to Matthew chapter 13. It's another interesting metaphor or figure of speech. It's a metaphor. <laughs> but Matthew 13, verse 45. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly per pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the question then is, is okay, what is that pearl of great price? Well, that's going to be the saints, the believing remnant. How do you know that? Well, come, over to, come back over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> He's talking about the group of people who are, going to, who are to go through the tribulation, that holy nation, that little flock, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5. Ye also, as, notice, lively stones, isn't that interesting, are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice 2.5, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.5. To, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Those saints in that little nation, they're described as lively stones. Verse 9, but ye are the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. There they are. He's talking about that believing remnant. But he describes them as a living stones, lively stones. A pearl is not a gem. A pearl is a living stone. You know how a pearl's made? The, the, the little clam or the oyster, and they get a little thing in there, irritates the membrane, and they go at it. It's what? It's lively. It's alive. See, a diamond is a gem. That's it's something dead. You just get it out of the ground. But that pearl is a living stone. Comes in there, gets in that little grain of sand, gets inside that shell, and it's living, growing, organically, producing something of great value. Okay? And that's what the reference is talking about. Now, the Lord, go back to Malachi chapter 3. I tried to tell you as we've been going through this, that this stuff, he is reaching back into the Old Testament constantly, bringing this stuff in to play in the Sermon on the Mount. So literally what he's taking is what they have had in their Old Testament, and then he's intensifying it for them in the moment. This stuff over here is talking about you guys here as we're now going into that kingdom, because repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. These is you guys. Now, look at Malachi 3. The context of Malachi 3 is the second coming of Christ. Okay? But look at Malachi 3 and verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine. And by the way, you ought to take some time and look at all the different books of the Lord. He wrote the book, but he's got a book of remembrance here. He'll go over, he's got a book of DNA. He's got a, this book, that book. He's got all these different books 
That's why you got to love books. They're your friends, as Dad would say. Verse 17, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now watch. In that day, the day of the second coming, the ending of the tribulation out there, when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. He says, when I come back and collect up my saints together, again, Israel, he says, I'm going to take them and I'm going to string them out like a string of, of pearls. Put them around, and I'm going to wear them. They're mine. They're, they're, that, that's who we're talking about. And I'm going to wear them for my glory. Go back to Matthew 7. I bought Linda a strand of pearls uh, a couple years ago for an, an, her, our anniversary and her birthday and Christmas are all real close. So I did one of those, hey, it's all in one, honey, and it didn't work, but I tried, okay? But you know what? But when you put them on, they're beautiful, okay? That's what the Lord's going to do. He's going to collect up the, that believing remnant, and he's just going to sit there and string them up, if you will, <laughs> and wear them and put them on. Cause, so the Lord has a high regard for that remnant of pe that little flock, that believing remnant, and he counts them as jewels, so he says, hey, I'm going to gather my precious, I'm going to get all the, my lively stones, all my pearls together, verse 6. And what you better not do over there is you better not take my believing remnant, you better not take that holy nation, that royal priesthood, that chosen generation, and throw it out there into that apostate nation. You guys are to keep it and to protect it. Now, you remember who he's talking to, don't you? He's talking to the 12 apostles. He's talking to that leadership of the believing remnant. He's talking, that's where we started back in chapter 5. Don't take that holy nation and throw it out there amongst the false prophets, false teachers. Guard it. Because as soon as you do that, the rest of that verse is going to happen, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Don't take what belongs to God and give it to the false prophets because they're just going to turn around and go after you. So you've got that extreme. Critical, conservative. <clears throat> right there. And then you've got the looseness. Just let it all go. Relax, dude. It'll be okay. Chill, man. You know, liberalism. <clears throat> right? So looseness won't do it. You have to be in the middle somewhere where you have a, you need to discriminate about the message and the messenger. So this becomes a warning here about the danger of the false prophets that are coming. And we're going to see that here. Everyone that comes along and preaches to these folks out of a Bible isn't going to be God's man. That's the point. So in the day... When many false prophets arise, that's what Peter said, they're going to need to be ready to identify them. By the way, that's what the book of 1 John is all about. Seven tests in there of how to identify truth from error. So much so that in the little appendixes of 2 John, he says, if someone shows up and they fail the test and you say, hey, have a great wish of God's speed, you're guilty of their mess. That's a discernment. That's a judgment that they have, that they'll have, that they won't even, they'll listen to him, they'll test him, and then they're just going to slam the door, and they won't even say goodbye, you know, don't Godspeed, goodbye. They won't even say goodbye, they'll just slam the door. Why? Because they know if they violate that, they're guilty. So he says in verse 7, ask, <laughs> and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall knock. I'm sorry, ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So he's going to begin a new topic now. So he brings you down to the false prophets. Don't do that. Don't, have, don't be too critical. You can't get anything done. But don't be so loose that the system takes you. And then he switches to a new topic. 
And in verse 7 to 12 now, he's going to give an explanation on how to determine between the strict and the loose. How to have the discernment that's going to allow them not to criticize and condemn people, and yet not to be too loose that they're taken away. So how do we maintain the balance? Isn't that the question we all have? <laughs> you know, I, for years it would be, okay, Rick, how do we be Timothy? And then how do we not be a Titus where you're kicking them out after the first no? <laughs> you know, well, you find a balance in there. Here's how they do it. Notice, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Uh, someone one time said that, that word, the word ask, A-S-K, is spelled out in the verse. Ask, A, seek, knock. There it is. And that's how they're going to be able to do these things. They're going to ask, they're going to seek, and they're going to knock. Okay, do you, do you follow that? You see that? Okay. All right. I don't, couldn't tell you who said it. I heard it from Dad, I'm sure, because it's in my Bible as a note. So, there you go. Verse 8. Watch him happen here. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. Or, what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, have good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even, ye even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, verse 13. <laughs> no, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Hey, how many, uh, you see the issue there? It has to do with provisions being made for these saints to be able to do the things that he's telling them to do. How are they going to, to get through all those tests that he's going to give them? They need discernment. They need a discerning eye. How are they going to be able to get through the cares of life and through the temptations of the riches and all that that's coming up against them. Well, they're going to have to be able to work through those things. And there's going to be a provision for them on the basis of what God's doing in his program right here at, the, at this time. Again, tribulation in, is in view. What's he say? Hey, how many of you guys out there, are you going to turn around, your son asks for bread, and you're going to give him a brick? What are you going to do? You're going to give your son a bread, aren't you? How many of you, a fish, <laughs> and you're going to give him a snake, a serpent? So you're going to make a discernment there, aren't you? Because who's standing in front of you? Your, your boy is. A man is there of you whom if his son asks. So family's standing there, isn't it? Now the problem we get over here in James and 1 John is even family's a little tricky. Okay. By the way, in verse 11, you, you see the Lord's sense of humor in verse 11. If ye then, being evil, <laughs> give good gifts to your children. Uh, don't miss that. That's humor. Because what are they? They're evil. Okay. You know, we take it for granted sometimes. They're evil. Christmas time, you know, give gifts to your kids and everybody feels happy and the spirit of Christmas and all that good malarkey, okay? You're, you, they are evil. And if you can do something good, even when you're try, even in your condition, can't God do something better? That's what he's getting at here. If you're evil, if you evil people, you sinners can do something good, feed your kid. By the way, the good gifts would be back up there about the bread and the fish. By the way, doesn't he feed a 5,000 with bread and fish? It just kind of happens that way. You see, they're going to do good things there, 
then why can't the Lord do something even better? And that's the case here. Now, hold on to here and look over at Luke, at Luke 11. And notice the parallel passage in Luke. And we studied, when we studied Luke and we went down through some of this, Luke 11 verse 13, we pointed some of this out. Let's start in verse, uh, really the whole thing starts back up about verse 11. Well, verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? <laughs> okay. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Now watch. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the, what? Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Notice there in Luke he says, He's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And Matthew, how, how much shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Those two are comparable there. Because when Christ comes back and sets up, and the new covenant is put into effect, Jeremiah 31, the kingdom, all of those things that he's been promising them, the good things, what did he tell them? Hey, seek ye first the kingdom of uh, the righteousness and the kingdom. And all these things, all that physical stuff, you know, the lilies, toil, don't toil, the ravens, yet, you know, what you eat and drink and clothe. Well, when he comes back, he's going to, all of that's going to become a reality. All these things will be accomplished because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's there getting it done. He's in their heart. And they're going to be able to live as he describes here in the Sermon on the Mount because he's going to give them that new heart and that new spirit. Again, he's talking to people in time, but looking to that future. You follow that? I hope so. <laughs> All right. So he go back to Matthew 7. Knock, ask, seek, and knock. You know what? Hold on to Matthew 7. Run over to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Interesting little verse over here. Isaiah 65, verse 24. Isaiah 65, verse 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Matthew 7, 7 says what? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Come over to Matthew 21. String these kind of verses together here. Matthew 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Come over to 1 John. 1 John 5. 1 John 5. And verse 14, 1 John 5, 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. What's the promise? They're going to start asking, I'm already going to answer them. They're going to start looking, here, I'm already hearing them out. Christ's promise here. Again, it's these. go back to Matthew 7. They're going to be completely and totally equipped to endure down through that tribulation period of time. That's what he's saying to them. Hey, ask and it's knock, seek, knock. It's all here for you. You are a guy. Isaiah 65, I've completely equipped you through the new covenant to get, or, or uh, to equip you to get through this tribulation into the kingdom, into that new covenant relationship. Don't even have to worry about it. Because before you ask it, I've already answered. I know you. Why? Because they're in Christ. They're his. That's what he says all through John. Hey, I'm in you. By the way, come over to John 7. Something I was thinking about here with this. Because the Holy Spirit is working here, and yet he hasn't been given to them yet. John 7. So these promises that he's talking about, they're coming to them. They don't have them right there in the moment, 
It's a future endeavor. John 7, when we studied John, we spent quite a bit of time in verse 37, 38, 39, because this is critical to see, because there's a ton of questions. The Lord looks at them, blows on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. At the end of John, John 20. But yet, he tells them in Acts 1, you've got to go back to Jerusalem so the, the Comforter will come. So how many times do they get the Holy Spirit? Well, is it two givings? See, now you got a big discussion. By the way, you got a huge one on the Internet about it. I just hit un, un, leave the group because it gets really stupid really quick. It really does. One's a taste, but one's the real deal. That's why Acts 2 is very, the day of Pentecost has fully come. But then you get a little verse like this in John 7. Look at John 7. Verse, we'll just start in verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's wonderful. Everybody, hey, look at that. Woo! But now read verse 39, the parenthesis. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost has not yet given, was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That's Acts chapter 2. So even though he's doing things, he'll breathe on them, they'll get, that's a taste of it. That's a little sample. That's an appetizer. The full meal comes where? In Acts 2. You follow that? Everybody gets all twisted, but I tell you what, that verse 39 you run over there to Acts 2, you start about verse, oh, it's, what, what is it? I just had it. Hang on. He, he talks there, well, starting 20, the whole chapter. <laughs> starting 22, you can go on down through it. And, and when, when he is glorified, now who comes? The Holy Spirit comes. So in, that's Acts 1, verse 8, 9, he's, the ascension. Acts 2, the verse 4 there, the day of Pentecost, or verse 1, is fully come, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. And I, why? Because the Savior has been glorified. Boom, now he comes. Anyway, go back to Matthew 7. I, I, just, I think about that because we're talking about the Holy Spirit here, but yet he hasn't come yet. Christ, you know, he tells them, look, i got to go away, and then the, another comforter comes. By the way, he's another comforter, not the comforter. He's another comforter. It's interesting how those little terms fit in there like that. So then you got verse 12, Matthew 7, 12. Keep rolling. Or the, you can get sidetracked real quick. <laughs> okay? So now he says, therefore. He's going to conclude something here. Based on what we started with in verse 1, judge not that ye be not judged. The following verses down to verse 12 bring you to a conclusion that he's going to give in verse 12 now. In other words, there's two extremes when you're dealing with other people. The judgmental or the just being loose, let it fly. Don't go to either extreme. They are to trust God. He's going to provide for them, give them the ability to get through that tribulation. They have been promised empowerment and, and the provisions of the new covenant. And he's just saying, hang tight, it's coming. Don't get distracted. Therefore, all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do it first before they do it back to you. <laughs> do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The so-called golden rule. Do it to others first before they do it to you. <laughs> That's the law of the street. You know, just get them. No. What happens is, is this verse gets used as the main mode of uh, salvation out there in Christendom. 
D-U-M-B, on the end of that word. Most, most of Christianity uses this verse to say, here it is. You know, live a good life, do good to others, do the best you can. But that verse doesn't have anything to do with their salvation. It has to do with the law and the prophets, the end of that verse. For this is the law and the prophets. There, Christ said there's two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Right? So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to do to him as you would want him to do to you, don't, wouldn't you? <laughs> kind of like that thing over there in, in, the, in, in Paul in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about the husbands. Love your wives even as you love your own bodies. <laughs> I had a guy one time tell me, I don't love my body. I said, yes, you do. You're in the gym five days a week, dude. He's a big old huff buff. I'm like, dude, you can't get that from just working. You're working out. And, and his fiance wife-to-be is like, uh-huh. I'm like, ooh, I hit the bone, didn't I? <laughs> the bone of contention right here, you know. I, so, they got married happily. Uh, a few years later, I ran into him, and he's just gone to pot. He goes, you did this to me. I'm like, I ain't do nothing to you, man. I can't go to the gym. Blah, blah, blah. And then he laughed. He said, it's okay. You know, but he got sick and couldn't do what he was, hurt himself. He couldn't, he got in an accident or something anyway. Now, what are you going to do? You're going you're, if, to, if you're to love your neighbor, what are you going to do? You're going to go over there and help them because what do you want them to do to you? Help you. Okay? So the only way that they're ever going to do verse 12 is to do what verse 7 through 11 has told them to do. Which is what? Ask, seek, and knock. Go over there. Hey, if you see someone that needs a fish, give them a fish. Help them out. And if, you, and if you, they need a piece of bread, give Doesn't that sound a little bit like James 2? When the guy shows up and knocks on the door and says, hey, we're hungry. And you just say, hey, have a nice life. God will provide. Slam the door in their face. No, help them out. Why? Because you're going to be, that was me. That was me. <laughs> okay? You back in Matthew 7? You see, this stuff is very practical for them. Again, where, if you leave it where it's at, doctrinally it belongs to the little flock. Practically, you and I could look at it and say, hey, we could do some of this. And by the way, Paul does tell us to do some of this. That's the fascinating thing. But to do it in our program, not in their program. Because they have consequences if they don't do it. Where you and I, we don't, to as, as severe a consequence, let me say it like that, as they do. Okay? Yeah, thankfully is right. Matthew 7, verse 13. The next verse. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Their because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Oh, man, is that passage abused and used. It's quoted a lot. And it's usually quoted in the, in the form of talking to someone about their soul. You've seen the chick tracks, haven't you? Broad, all the people and their... Huh? And a little bitty tiny thing over here. Got, folks, that has nothing to do with evangelism. <laughs> okay? It rather, in this, really this passage and the rest of the chapter, what the Lord is beginning to do is to set up two alternatives before the nation of Israel. Basically, the Lord says, look, Israel, there's a... The, there's my way, and then there's this other way over here that's going to lead to destruction. Human viewpoint, religion, or it's my way. So he basically is saying it's my way, or it's Israel's way, the apostate nation. There's the way of the little flock, God's way, and there's the apostate nation way. You pick. 
I saw a thing on Facebook the other day is God doesn't send people to hell. He just honors their choice. I was like, that's, I like that. That's pretty good, you know. Have to read between the lines a little bit. Because Moses said to Israel, I set before you life and death. Choose life. The Lord's doing the same way here. Enter in at the straight gate. Uh, by the way, verse 14, folks, you don't need a dictionary here. Just keep reading. It'll define it for you. Look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. So if you enter in at the straight gate, where's, where the little flock enters in, now again, how do you get into that group? What did they have to do? Repent and be baptized, didn't they? They had to come to the porter, John's baptism, get in the right way into the sheepfold, don't climb over, get in there right. They, they, did, they had to ch repent, change their way of thinking, prepare themselves for the Lord. Again, that, that's this lifestyle that we've been looking at here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what they had to do. Enter into the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. That's a description there, like a funnel. You guys ever seen a funnel? <laughs> Working on the truck, the old truck, and you get, hey, we need a funnel, <laughs> quick. <laughs> Why? Because you take a bit and you thin it down. If you go in the wide end where it's easy to get in and where there's no constriction, you're going to be doing your own thing. And you're going to be having it your way. That's what he's talking about here. Then you're going to be led down to that narrow end, which is literally engined, held in the lake of the fire. But when the funnel's turned around, and you go in the narrow end, then there's only one thing to do. Again, that's join that little flock. Repent, be baptized, get in the right way. And then what's at the end of that thing? All that blessing, life. The kingdom blessing. So that so if you think about a funnel here, you got a big fact doing it my way. I watched a thing on YouTube with Frank Sinatra and Don Wrinkles and and Johnny Ca Johnny Cash, Johnny Carson and those guys, and he's singing it my way. And I'm sitting there going, Yeah, you did it your way. And I don't know, but he's probably roasting. <laughs> That's the fat way. Then down. But if you flip it and you go in the narrow, you get in that little, go through the porter, the portal hole. You're going to have that issue there, the end of verse 14, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now I want you something very particular there at the end. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. In the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and early Acts, eternal life equals the kingdom. They're synonymous with one another. The little flock, for the little flock to have everlasting life, was not for them to die and go to heaven. It was for them to have life that lasted forever in a kingdom. And, and people miss that. So you come over to Matthew 19. So you have great conversations about everlasting life and all this. A Jewish person, a, a Bible-believing, Matthew 19, a Bible-believing Jew, a member of the little flock, would never say, I'm going to die and go to heaven. They would cry what Job cried. I will see my Savior in the flesh here on the earth. And they will be looking for... Hebrews 11 is clear as the nose is on your face that Abraham died not receiving the promise, but what? Looking for it afar off. That's how, that is the standard. Now, Abraham was a justified man. Why? Because of his faith and what the Lord told him. That's what these guys are. They know the kingdom's coming. They believe the Lord. So where's their faith resting? In his word they know their eternal life sits right over there in that kingdom. You follow that? That's critical to catch here when he talks about life. Matthew 19, look at verse 27. 
Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. So basically Peter's saying, We're, We followed that narrow straight way. We went down the little hole. Think about Alice in Wonderland. Right down the hole. We went down the rabbit hole. He says to that little flock, Seek ye first the who? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. We went down the straight gate, Lord. We went down the narrow way. It's tough. We went the right way. We've forsaken all. We followed you. Verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 27. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Man, everybody thinks Peter is just looking out for himself, but that is a legitimate question. It is an honest question. Because the Lord has been telling them all along, you forsake everything, follow me. He goes down, he meets the boys, the guys on the, on the shore, and they're mending their nets. He says, leave, I'll make you fishers of men. They, they don't ask, they don't bark, they don't, hang on a minute, we've got to put it on you, uh, on offer up and sell it. No, nope, boom, they're right on it. Verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. When he sits on his throne, that's the kingdom. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. That's pretty strict, isn't it? That's real narrow, isn't it? Shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. The twelve apostles will inherit the twelve thrones in the kingdom, and everyone in that remnant who hath forsaken all, they followed God. Come over to Mark 9. They've endured through the straight gate. They're going to get eternal life in that kingdom. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Mark 9, 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better to enter into, notice, life, maimed, than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. So, this is the, the fire here, by the way, that's the second coming, the tribute, you know, the hell, the lake of fire and all that. But notice, it's better for thee to enter into what? Life. Look down at verse 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life. So we're cutting some things off, aren't we? Verse 47. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the, isn't that interesting, the kingdom of God. So if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals what? C. So life equal eternal life, eter, everlasting life equals the kingdom. It's better to enter into life. It's better to enter into life. It's better to enter into the kingdom. So in the Gospels, ever, eternity, come back to Matthew 7, everlasting life, eternal life, is going to be a synonym for the kingdom. So in Israel's program, eternal life for those people is associated with that kingdom. That's why they asked that question in Acts 1, one of the reasons why. Lord, will you restore the kingdom at this time? Man, we want that eternal life thing. <laughs> We're ready for it. And he says, nope, hang on, we got some things to do. The delay principle hits them. Now watch verse 15. We'll stop here. The, the time's almost up. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Boy, didn't that, that gets used all the time, doesn't it? Verse 21, or verse 20. At this point, he begins to warn them now about the false prophets, how to identify them. They're going to come up, and they're going to try to lead these people down that wrong path. And the false prophets are the apostate nation of Israel. They're like those guys. Oh, you got a few minutes? Okay. Well, we'll pick up in verse 15, but just notice this. Jeremiah 14. This is who these guys are. Jeremiah 14 and verse 14. Jeremiah 14, 14. Beware of the false prophets. Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. Now watch. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their hearts. That's who they are. The key in that is he says, I sent them not. God didn't send them. He didn't commission them. They went out there on their own. And they're sitting outside that little flock, and they're trying to lead them to destruction. That's where they're trying to get them. And Christ is going to warn them. Don't take these believers. Don't let them go underneath the ministry of those false prophets watch out stay away from them identify them know who they are stay away from them identify mark them and avoid them <laughs> just and go for it okay now there's another half hour yet to look at this so we'll just pick up with these guys you have to remember real quick run over to revelation in the church's messages revelation 2 he writes there to the, to the uh, church at Ephesus there, verse 1, verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Isn't that interesting? Over there in that tribulation... They've got the provisions, the empowerment, the equipping to work them out, to feed them out. They try them. They test them. And the biggest test is back in Deuteronomy. Well, there's a test in 1 John. But back there in Deuteronomy 13, where, he, where Moses lays out the original test, in Deuteronomy 13, Verse 1, he says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. So the guy does something, a miracle, and it happened. It's true. It's legitimate. It's real. It's not a fake. It's not a phony. Okay? But what does the guy say? Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God. You know what? He's Jeremiah 14. He's there on his own. I didn't send him. But what does he say for them to do? Not obey the word of God. He says, let's go again. Let's not. Yeah, I know you got your Bible, but this is extra biblical stuff. Let's get rid of the Bible. Okay? Come over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. You see, folks, they have the ability to test some of this out, okay? 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He's not talking about someone demon-possessed here, okay? 
where you're supposed to go over and talk to the guy. Hello, you inside a helm. <laughs> this doesn't work today, obviously, okay? But he's not even, it's not talking about there either. Verse 2, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the Spirit is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Notice that. Notice the test. Did, was Jesus Christ back there, earthly ministry, Matthew, Mark, is that God? Well, no, he's God sitting over here on the, the Antichrist. Then what is that guy that says that? He's a false prophet. It's, it's real simple. Now, this stuff gets dragged into us today. People try to, they're scriptural but not dispensational. And that's just when you say, hang on a minute, let's, let's re-look re at this. If you'll, so we'll pick up in verse 15 next time, but they do have the ability and the equipping to work down through some of this. So Matthew 7, we'll pick up in verse 15, we'll, we'll re-look at some of that a, a little quicker. There's some other passages in Matthew as well. But the Lord, is he shifts gears. How are you going to deal with others? How are you going to get through this and everything? But again, this is little flock. The doctrine belongs to the little flock. Some of the applications we can make today, okay, because Paul does with us. But just leave this stuff where it sits. So don't go ask, seek, and knock and think the Powerball numbers are going to hit you in the head because it ain't going to work that way, okay? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the look into it and the study of what you will do with your folks, your people here on the earth through the new covenant provisions and as we sit as the members of the body of Christ and watch it be done and rejoice in it and give you the honor and you the glory in it. When we know that you'll do it for them, therefore we know that you'll carry out your promises to us as well. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.